Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. Tonight's movies are Blue Ruin and Red. I guess together that makes purple rain. No, no. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at MNDriveInPod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to themidnightdrivein at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food or drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. Drive away your worries and cares at this drive-in theater. That's why, to familiarize you with the movie rating symbols which will be used by this theater, we present the following guide for parents and young people. X, no one under 17 admitted. Doug, I'm curious. Did you see the video of the lady who took a shit in the Tim Hortons and then threw it at the cash register? Or threw it at the, the guy running the register? Reluctantly, I did, but I watched it. <laughs> funny voiceover, if that helps. Oh, it does help. <laughs> it had the uh, the voiceover I watched had the guy behind the counter being super nice Canadian guy who was just like the whole time. Oh, hey now, what's that all about? And he was like, he was like, don't forget to get yourself some napkins before you throw that. You're gonna want those in a minute. And all that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, it was so fucking weird. Did you see this, Noah? Uh, I heard about it. I did not watch it. It's 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 some of the most ridiculous like. I don't. I didn't even know what the what, what they were discussing, if discussing is the right word. I don't. I don't like. Is there is the the real sound out there of it? I have no idea. But I didn't even know like what like when they called the police, what they told them, like why she did it or whatever. There's All I know is the video. Fight girl throwing poop. And <laughs> I'm just like, this is like the. I don't know what she was complaining about, but this is like the epitome of white people problems. It's like, I'm not getting what I want in the convenience store, so I'm going to shit on the floor and throw it at you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just saying, if I if I wanted to watch a human being throw shit at another human being, I would just watch the news. Because <laughs> that's pretty much what well, I mean, now. That was big news up here when something goes on in the Tim Horton. <laughs> <laughs> They're disgracing our national... Which- uh, which one, eh? It was the one in Winnipeg. Oh, no, not the one in Winnipeg. <laughs> was it one, like, right across the border, though? Probably. Like in Buffalo or something? She was, yeah. Was she? Oh, was it actually in the States? That I makes sense. So. That does yeah, make sense. That's why it makes a lot more sense. Especially if it was Buffalo. It makes a lot of sense. <laughs> uh, good Lord. But, you know, throw shit at Tim Hortons. That's what happens. Yeah. Um, anybody else surprised that Roseanne got canceled because she's a horrible human being? Yeah. I, thought it, I thought it was weird that everybody was, like, shocked. That's yeah. the part I don't get. They were like, oh, my, she said something racist? <laughs> and it's like, yeah, 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 she does that a lot. Like, <laughs> kind of a thing. Before we, uh, just before we logged on, I was watching some YouTube clip of Tom Arnold on whatever talk show, and there he was like, you know, they've done this before, and they're like, 
are you referring to the time she called like Susan Rice the same thing? And I'm like, no, there's been lots of other times. That's not the one I was referring to. It's just, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, all right. Yeah, he. Uh, I saw he like posted like directly to ABC, like, "Hey, am I am I out of the ABC doghouse now because I made fun of her for saying racist stuff like a year ago?" It's uh, funny. The only the only assumption I have, and it's just an assumption, is that somebody at ABC sat down with her and was like, "All right, we'll give you your show back. You can't do this shit anymore." And they thought she was going to stop. <laughs> I don't know why they would believe that. I, I know one of the things I read is there was multiple conversations about them telling her to stay off of social media. Yeah, it makes sense because she can't. Yeah, that she can't fucking help herself from saying something stupid as shit. Almost like our ridiculous president. The worst thing is, out of all of this, I was actually kind of impressed with how gracefully she took it at first. First, where where, where, she, where <laughs> she changed her mind the first twelve hours. Where she basically said, don't defend me. I said something pretty fucking bad. And and then she made up excuses for herself, but that's just, that's natural self-defense crap and not wanting to be like, okay, I'm a racist sack of shit. Nobody's going to say that. But then all of these fucking people went on there going, no, nah, this is censorship and, you know, free Roseanne and, and fucking all their weirdness and how is how is comparing somebody to a movie racist? And it's like, well, it's, it's they're comparing her to an, an anthropomorphic gorilla. <laughs> yeah, that's which which is uh, extraordinarily racist, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's, but that's uh, the new thing in the news is you always have to have somebody on to come on and pretend that they don't know what racism is and they've never heard the same insult that gets used all the time before. Yeah, yeah, it's so fucking weird. But then, after all of that, now she's like, oh, now I'm going to pursue my options and fight this. And it's like, no, you were doing good. You were like, I'm a piece of shit and I deserve this. That is the correct reaction. While we're having a conversation, one of our listeners just sent me a picture of Lando from the new Han Solo movie. (laughs) Oh, in retrospect, kind of a racist performance, even though he's a black guy doing it. (laughs) Anyways. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, I love that she tried to blame it on Ambien, and I'm like, I think it's less Ambien and more just like, yeah. hey, my show has like 20 million like uh, viewers, which is like unheard of nowadays in broadcast TV. So I could just say whatever I want. What are they going to do? Fire me? Well, yep, that is what happened. That's what happened. My favorite part of it was actually Donald Trump's reaction, because when he's like. He's basically saying, like, oh, somebody else at ABC criticized him and they didn't get in trouble. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's almost like you start to feel bad for him because he's basically saying he doesn't understand that racism is bad. Like, he doesn't understand <laughs> that it's worse to say a racist thing about somebody than it is to just criticize them. Uh, he's like, well, he also well, can't come on. Go they, to- said, they said a bad thing about me. It's like, yeah, but they weren't racist towards you. Never mind. Just- well, he also can't talk about anything without making it about himself either. I know. I, I didn't get bad, pick the bad spray paint not a rain. <laughs> Did you guys just have one of your four days a year where you celebrate veterans and he had to do something to make it about him too? Yep. It's all about how all the dead soldiers would think he's doing a very a fantastic job. Yeah, I was awesome. going to say, it's not, it's not a holiday about veterans. It's a holiday about 
dead people. It's a dead soldier holiday. <sighs> Seems like it wouldn't be that hard to just say something nice and move on. He's such a fucking idiot. Swear to God. <sighs> well, since we're already in such a great mood. <laughs> <laughs> Everything went downhill fast this week. <laughs> you, know what, you know what the weird thing is? You guys got me all amped up for how like sad and depressing these movies are. And I watched them. And I think in the back of my head, I went, eh, I live in America in 2018. This ain't so bad. <laughs> well, to be fair, we did watch these pre-Trump. so <laughs> That's fair. You're like, oh, remember when that was depressing? In everyday life, wasn't that depressing? My poor suffering American friends. (laughs) Well, Noah, since it didn't depress you as much, why don't you tell us about uh, 2008's Red? Uh, Red is the story of a of a fairly well-tempered old man who's got an old dog that he really likes, and he goes out fishing and three asshole little kids show up to fucking ruin his day. Uh, And at first, I think they're just there to harass him. And then somewhere along the lines, the the most assholey of the children's decides to rob him. And then whenever he doesn't get what he wants, proceeds to shoot his dog in the face, which is, of course, the worst thing that could happen in a movie. Nobody likes it when the dogs die. And it's one of the it's a slow dog death too, where you have this dog whimpering, and that's the worst. Oh, so fucking terrible. <laughs> this is we should Although, mention it. It's a it's based on the Jack Ketchum novel, so yeah. we, don't, we don't have like a dog dying in the climax. That's the opening scene of the movie. As Noah's dog reminds yeah, us, he's here in the background. Hold, hold on, I'll be right back. Something's going on. <laughs> oh, geez, what happened? <sighs> So, Doug, if we hear Noah start yelling and then a gun going off and dog whimpering, we should know yes. that these selections went horribly, horribly wrong. He's just, we're just like, he's getting way too meta with the podcast. Yeah. Fucking, fucking dog. It's like, no, I can't do it. I gotta, I gotta kill my dog on the show. Otherwise, otherwise it doesn't make sense. We just adopted a cat and I'm assuming the dog was just chasing the cat. Ah, uh, gotcha. So, to clarify, you you locked a dog and a cat in the same house, and then now you're surprised that they're not getting along. <laughs> well, no. The funny the funny thing is, is it's not that the dog like wants to attack the cat. The cat kind of hates the dog in a weird reverse situation. But the problem is, is the cat hates the dog. So if the cat comes out from its hiding space and sees the dog, it takes off running. And because he's got all them sheep and breeds in him. When that cat starts running, his instinct is herd the cat. So he takes off running after the cat, which makes the cat freak the fuck out. And then, yeah. The adorable part of this is you you don't want to admit that one of your pets wants to eat the other pet. So you're like, oh, it's because he's herding the cat. <laughs> he's herding the cat towards his was, eating bowl. I was going to say he's never attempted to, to bite or anything. The cat, the cat most definitely hisses and makes angry fuck you sounds to the dog constantly, but not the other way around. 
I cannot believe how far into this tangent we've gotten. Yes. 35 <laughs> seconds into the show. So speaking of dead dogs, no, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I was saying when you were gone, me and Doug were just like, man, he's going to make a meta. We're just going to hear a gun sound in the background. And... <laughs> but, uh, so, uh, I don't, I don't know you, about you guys' interpretation. My interpretation of that situation is it seems like that kid was planning on shooting that dog from the very second they fucking walked up. That's that's the impression I got because he keeps asking questions about the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about if it was he was planning it. I feel like he definitely wanted to. I feel and like then, the way I took it is that that kid doesn't. I don't know if he had a goal in mind when he showed up there. Like he's just being a dick. People mm-hmm. who are dicks are just dicks, and they just they don't understand exactly what they're going to do. But you know, it's not going to be good. That was my kind of take on it. Yeah. Uh, so, old main character goes home and gets in his gun cabinet, and I was like, "Yes, this is this is what should happen. <laughs> Get that gun, kill those kids, fuck, fuck them and their youth." But uh, that's not what we get. What instead we get is this old guy doing absolutely everything he can to do things the right way, <laughs> and it not working at every turn. He basically uses the make and model of the gun to track down the kid's parents, goes to them, says, hey, your kid shot my dog. I don't really want anything. I just want the kid to admit what he did and you you find some appropriate punishment. And instead we get the fuck you, old man. It's his word against yours. It's my boy. I don't give a shit that he shot your dog. Yeah, Tom Sizemore is a dick. So, so also, he plays a dick in this movie. Yeah. Also, he's a bad. He's a bad person in this movie. He's a bad person in every. Is there a single movie where he's not a bad guy? Uh, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, that was gonna yeah. be my go-to answer. Okay. Then. So, <laughs> then he goes to the police. Uh, well, he goes to a lawyer, I guess. Same thing. He attempts to go through the legal system. They basically tell him there's nothing he can do. And that even if they did get this kid and prosecute him to the fullest extent of the law, he would probably do 10 days and $100. Mm-hmm. Which is which is royally fucked. And instead of, once again, flipping out and seeking sweet, sweet revenge like a revenge movie should be, he just continues trying to do things the most legit way possible. He gets a news story done about him on the uh, the late-night local news. Uh, that starts incurring some retribution from the other people who throw a brick through the window. He once again confronts the, the parents, although, and the parents of the other kid who turn out to be I'm assuming they're supposed to be drug addicts of some kind. That's what they seem to come off as. Yeah, just hillbilly. Yeah, I took it. I, druggy people. I took it as definitely like the father. He's wearing like a. He mentions being a carpenter. He's wearing like a cast on his arm, so he's been out of work kind of long term. Mm. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, he decides he's going to get a little bit of vengeance and basically goads the kid into attacking him in public so that he can defend himself and defend himself good. (laughs) Doesn't kill the kid, just gives him a nice gut punch and makes him look like a bitch in front of the entire town. (laughs) And nobody tries to stop him. They all just kind of like, eh. 
the whole town does kind of look on and you kind of feel like everybody here knows that, that kid's getting something he deserves. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in retribution for that, his store gets burned down and basically what comes out of that is you figure out that it's an entire conspiracy of the, clearly the parents are also working together to give all these kids alibis while the rednecky dad burned down the store. And you're assuming the mom is also involved. So once again, I was like, oh, sweet, sweet vengeance. Here we go. This is where the murders come in, right? No. He tries even more scare tactics. And basically, they attempt to murder him. He barely survives. Goes back, attempts to do it the right way again. After they attempt to fucking murder him. And all that ends up is a shootout where the kind of the other assholey kind of kid and the kid who doesn't deserve it die and everybody else lives. What in the fuck? What in the fuck kind of karma justice is that? <laughs> that's that's some good old Jack Ketchum. Like, hey, you guys want a happy ending? Yeah, go fuck yourselves. <laughs> you no, know who dies? The, the the young kid that actually took came out and apologized. He's dead. Fuck that yeah. guy. Yeah, or the, the asshole dad that you hated, he's fine. Be all right. <laughs> it's just I don't I, I don't know how to react to that because I'm okay with like depressing endings. I thought it was going to be one of those kind of like, you know, in the end he's going to kill one of these people and end up like going to prison and like living. You know what I mean? That's how the movie's going to end with the old guy actually getting fucking the full force of the law thrown at him when they wouldn't do anything about these shit people. But nobody that deserves to die dies. <laughs> yeah. As a matter of fact, besides the fact that they take a couple bullets, nobody that deserves punishment really gets hurt all that bad. Oh, some people would argue getting shot is hurt all that badly. I wouldn't want to get shot. I'm against it. Well, we learned we learn in the next movie that apparently a crossbow hurts more. <laughs> the next movie is a little more specific when it comes to the injuries. Maybe if they could have crossed both those kids, I would have been a little happier about the end of this movie. I don't know. In the end, it's a really good movie with really good acting mm. that is just fucking upsetting. The entire movie is upsetting. <laughs> See, so you find it upsetting, but you maybe find it upsetting for different reasons than you thought it was going to be upsetting. It's I was like, I was expecting it to be depressing and stuff, but mm -hmm. I, something I kept. I was told a thousand times that this is a revenge movie, and this is not a revenge movie. It has nothing in common with a revenge movie at any yeah. time. Uh, I will agree with that, having rewatched it. Yeah, a revenge movie is not the right word. It's more of a depressing slap in the face reminder that the world has no actual justice in it. And then, Doing the right doing the right thing accomplishes nothing, and doing the wrong thing does not necessarily lead to negative consequences. And if you've done the wrong thing, you can't fix it by trying to do the right thing. And if you do the right thing, and then you go and do something wrong later, that doesn't really matter. Like nothing matters. It's kind of the message of this movie. Like if somebody does a thing wrong to you, that's it. That's just a thing that happened wrong to you, and there's no way to get any kind of justice or fairness out of it whatsoever. Is the message from this movie, and I can't argue against that message. And then that pisses me off. 
Like, I know that's wrong. But is it, though? No, I guess you're right. <laughs> and that, for me, that that is a depressing movie. That, like, when you watch it and the movie kind of comes to an end and you're just like, and they try to tag on, like, a little happy ending where it gets a new puppy and you're like, that dog's just going to shit in the house. Who cares? Like, it's just... <laughs> it's... I don't know. Yeah. We did forget to mention that uh, the poor kid's parents are played by Robert England and uh, Amanda Plummer. Yeah, I would say that's awesome. the, the best thing about this movie. This movie could not have a better cast. Could not. I, I cannot imagine replacing a single actor and getting a better result. It would be difficult, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of the lesser characters, obviously, are interchangeable but even like you say like the the parents of pete they he's like the third kid in the group um they're not big roles but you get these good actors in there and you get and 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 this goes to the director as well you get a lot out of those scenes you understand a lot of what's going on with these characters and in this town just by those little interactions which Mm -hmm. i don't think you would get with lesser actors yeah, Robert England specifically, I think is amazing in his role. Even though he doesn't do a whole lot, just his delivery. Yeah. And you're like, oh, he's such a skeezy character. But, I mean, you only get that from his interactions with Brian Cox through the, through a screen door. Yep. Which I think is awesome. Yeah. I also it's... like the thing that they do in the movie where Brian Cox's character a few times, when when violence does happen you very much get the impression that if he were to go full vengeance mode, that these other people would not have a fucking prayer in hell against him. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of an ex-soldier, and you can tell he's a badass, and he takes himself very fucking seriously. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely it's a it's a case where had he not shown restraint, he could have done a lot of damage, and he did show restraint because it was the right thing to do, and... It cut him nowhere. Uh, also, the the kid who plays the the worst kid, the shooter kid, what a great casting there! Because first of all, he, he's not a bad actor. He's on uh, uh, Shameless, right? Yes, that's where I know him from. Yeah, yeah. bugging me ever since I watched it. Yeah, and he's a good actor. And something about like, and I, and I don't mean this in an insulting way to that actor, but that dude's got a punchable face. Oh, yes. for sure. Yeah, like yeah. he's he looks like the type of person that you expect to be that douche kid. Yeah, so he has the male version of resting bitch face, <laughs> which just makes you want to like punch him right in the fucking yeah. face. And similarly, his little brother is like I forget that actor's name, but he was in a few other things around this time, and mm. he is definitely plays that sort of sympathetic, bullied younger brother really well. So the two of them on screen together, you definitely have the feeling that you know one is controlling the other. And it, again, mm. you don't need a lot of dialogue or a lot of different scenes to see it, and they're able to just kind of tell it in shorthand, which is really good. Yeah, and he still does, he does a really good performance too. Where, like you said, he he has that sympathetic thing where he is the one who apologizes, and he's like, you know, sorry, I don't know why, like it went that far. And everything, but he also does still have that sort of loyalty to his family. Yeah. Because a lot of times, like, he's just like, stop. Like, 
like what else do you want like just let it go and just will not like back up brian cox at all even but though so, he's yeah. really sympathetic to him in some ways do you think he's the only character in the movie that gets it though he's the only character in the movie that is like, like what are you going to accomplish you're pushing oh totally pushing yeah. this, this can only end badly this can only get worse it can't get better at this point yeah and I so that's kind of interesting that this like he's supposed to be like 14 or 15 whatever he's supposed to be like he's the only one in the movie that can look at the world and go like there is no such thing as justice quit trying to find it quit being so naive well, old man although i think that that's not true either i because i think in the in in his own unique way he's the one who he's also guilty but he's just guilty of being a coward. Yeah. Because the yeah. truth is, if he did balls up like Brian Cox is telling him, and he did tell the truth to the cops or anybody, there would be justice. Like, all of, all of it would tip back over into the favor of... But, but him refusing to do the right thing just continues it on. You know what I mean? Yeah, Which, in a way... So, in a way, he deserved to get shot, too. But not, not as... Is there anybody in the movie that doesn't deserve to get shot? The old lady. The old lady. The old lady with the dog that helps out in the store. Oh, okay. He's the only one. I was going to say, it is interesting how a lot of the people throughout the movie you see have dogs. And oh, even yeah. like the guy that owns the gun shop. Like when Brian Cox is going to try to figure out who owns you know, the make and model of the gun or whatever. He goes to the gun shop, and like the younger guy is just like, Look, we can't give out that information. Like, you know, legally, it's just not right. And then when, when Brian Cox says, Oh, they killed my dog, like the, the owner of the gun shop is just like, Oh, yeah, give him that information. He's like, I get it. Yeah. People fucking shot your dog. That's bullshit. He tells the pretty, and that, again, that's another actor that is just a, like a one scene. But when he tells that story about why he cares so much about his dog, and I, I really bought into that story. Like I really believed what he was saying, and mm. it made you understand the motivations of that character to provide this information that he was probably not legally allowed to provide. I assume. Yeah. Yeah, he gets it. Yeah, yeah I think I think. It, it, Part of the, the messages, and of course, the, the evil people don't have dogs. That's true. Mm -hmm. Which which is the old adage of you know if if a dog doesn't like you, I don't like you. you know? <laughs> yeah, the it's funny that the only good character that doesn't have a dog has cats, and it leads to like one of my favorite moments in this whole movie, which is when uh, when Brian Cox asks asks her the reporter if she has dogs. He, she's like, I have cats. And he gives that facial expression at her like cats, really? Like <laughs> I love it. It's just this like small town redneck. I'm like I can't believe somebody would, you know, why would you own an animal that's not going to help you hunt? What's the point? <laughs> I loved it. Yeah. And I also like the interesting subplot of uh, apparently Brian Cox had two sons, and one of his sons was a habitual liar and possibly a sociopath of some kind who ended up being responsible for the death of his wife and other child. It, in a way, what he's doing with these boys isn't trying to get vengeance. He's trying to, like, save them, kind of. Save them from themselves, from becoming like his son. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, and I mean, obviously, the the main point of that whole thing is to explain how important the dog was to him, um, how it's his only family member left and stuff. But I, I agree with, with what you're saying, and I also think it was just to just to give Brian Cox an excuse to give that monologue in the middle of the movie because it's amazing. Yeah. It's, like, it's like you know Quint-like level of monologuing that he does in the middle of there. Really good. I recommend. Watch it once. <laughs> watch it once. Don't buy it. Don't need to buy it. I'm not going to watch it again. No. This is the second I time I, I watched it. Yeah, I've, I've watched it a bunch of times like over the years. and like I was super excited for this to come out because I was a fan of the book. Um, so I was, when it was like, I, like, I think I had it pre-ordered when it was released on DVD. And I've seen it a bunch of times. It really holds up well. I mean, it's not a happy-go-lucky movie. Don't have people over and pop popcorn and go, you guys are going to love this, and then sit down and show them this because you won't have friends left. <laughs> but it is an extremely well-made movie. Um, how is there any big difference between the book? I know you said before it was a pretty faithful adaptation. It's pretty fa- I haven't read the book since like, probably 08. So I'd, uh, I'd be hesitant to like get into the, the nitpicky details, but it's pretty similar. I recall. I think one of the things that we haven't talked enough about with this movie, we should really compliment the actual filmmakers. There's two directors on the movie, Lucky McKee and the other guy. And uh, there's a lot done in this movie that I think is really, really well done. Like the scene where uh, Brian Cox goes to that gun shop to look for, uh, and we end up getting the story with that other dog. Just the shots of him walking into that gun shop and he's dressed in his like, old-timey, almost dressed like a cowboy kind of look, going into that modern shop, you really feel like here's a guy with, they're setting up, he's a guy with sort of old-timey values that maybe aren't working in today's world, and I think they're doing a good job of juxtaposing him with that sort of modern feel, and that, that's all intentional, I think, to add to the, the, uh, the feel of the film. And I also think they need to be complimented for their restraint, because you have two different scenes where you have pretty good stories being told and a lot of filmmakers would not have been able to hold back and not flash back and show those stories mm-hmm. uh, specifically the one with the murders of the son and stuff um, and most people would have done the flashback and shown that violence on screen you know, because you would have got it could have been cool looking shock effect uh, but I think it works in this movie much more to have that character telling that story than it does to have the audience seeing that story and I I think it's ballsy for them to have taken that time to allow that long of a monologue rather than putting up some visuals to go with it yeah I I think I like the gun shops too because you do get you uh, whenever he's calling around you get to see his local gun shop that he goes to which of course is like the warm old timey like place where hunters and fishers go to get their things, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Versus that one. And if you kind of take it a step a step back to the fact that the, the dad and evil boy bought their gun in the other place, you know, it's cold and sterile, and it's the, you know what yeah. I mean? And that, that goes to where both the characters live as well. Like, he lives in this, Brian Cox lives in this, like, old farmhouse, and 
kind of like out and he's got the little pond in the back with the little dock off of it and stuff and then you know these other guys live in this big ritzy mansion on the other side of town and you know it's very modern feeling and they have you have to ring a doorbell to get in they won't just leave their door unlocked i feel like he would you know it's very very different feel and i think they're trying to set that up as kind of old world versus new world or small Mm. town versus big town however you want to look at it oh yeah i mean it definitely plays out that way too like just everybody's thinking like where tom sizemore's ready just whip out the checkbook like all right what do you want just pay it off and get it over with yeah and brian cox is like that's not like that's that's not the point that's never been the point yeah well there's like a really interesting line it's just one a one-off line when he's with meeting with his lawyer and the lawyer says like okay the the crown won't prosecute you know we could still file a lawsuit and brian cox's response is well that's that's just money like he doesn't care at all you know what i mean like he's and I, i like the way that that was handled i think that shows again it shows and it again if you take that a step further and you go look at the robert england character that guy burns down somebody else's store for a little bit of cash so he can get his house painted. Like, mm. he's obviously on that wrong side. And I think there's probably a message built into that about how the, the rich and the powerful can manipulate poor to fight against each other. You know, have the, have the poor fighting against the middle class rather than fighting to up everybody to that rich level, if it makes any sense. Yeah. Mm. Try not to get overly political. <laughs> yeah, and you guys were talking about old uh, Robert England's performance. That the moment where he's confronting them about the store burning down, and they're both clearly like laughing at him. You yeah. know, they're kind of averting their eyes and snickering, like, "Oh, what happened? Oh, it couldn't have been my boy. He was up there at the house." <laughs> and basically, the moment—it's not Brian Cox accusing them of burning down the store that turns it. It's the second he basically says, you did it for money because you're broke. And that's when they get all pissed off and slam the door in his face. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which I think that's a pretty, that's some good acting. Yeah, because he's basically saying, like, you guys sold your soul. You weren't, you didn't, it's not my store that got burned down. It was, you're, you're not the kind of people who would have done this. And you did it for what? For a coat of paint and some people to come clean up your yard. Like, and I think that's, I, I agree, that's a pretty good insult. <laughs> Man, I just want to go back and watch this movie again, just for all the acting stuff. <laughs> yeah, the performances are good. Maybe we could watch it in reverse. <laughs> story oh, about a, it's a story about a shootout ending with a guy's dog miraculously coming back from the dead. <laughs> well, he gets the puppy at the end, so... It's like is. he gets a puppy and then he kind of loses it and then uh, he finds it at the end. Except it's a full grown dog. That's a, it's a long story. <laughs> dog has time to grow up and die and come back to life. <sighs> well, I'm glad you enjoyed it, Noah. Yeah, like, it, like I said, the acting was good. I just, man, that ending is not. No bueno. <laughs> no ending for me. It is. We've been conditioned as. Uh, film lovers to just like yeah they'll clean everything up at the end the good guys will win the bad guys will get what's coming to them in one form or another and it's just 
Oh, not in a Lucky McKee, John Ketchum adaptation movie. I, no. I was going to say, my, my whole thing is I don't, typically, I don't care about happy endings. I don't like everything tied up with a nice, neat bow. But I would prefer the everyone dies ending to the uh, nobody, nobody dies. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, because you feel like that, like that shithead kid, the older brother. Uh, is there any reason to believe that you couldn't write a sequel to this where he just shoots another dog the next day? He's not going to learn his lesson. Like, I'll I'll tell you the one thing I like to imagine that the uh, the bullet hit both of their spines, and now the dad and the son are both paralyzed from the waist down. Oh, always trying to put a positive spin on things. I gotta live like with a, that. You get like a two-person wheelchair, so they're always like together. Yeah, so yeah. if anybody wants to watch this, do not look it up as Brian Cox Bread because you will get the Bruce Willis movie as well. Yeah. <sighs> Basically got to look up Red 2008, right? Yeah. Because even when I typed in Red Ketchum, there's like a bunch of Pokemon shit showed up, so I don't know what that was. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Because it's Ash, Ash Ketchum. And Red is his name in the uh, Japanese version. Oh, that explains it. <laughs> That's weird. That's hilarious. Yeah, it took well, it took me a long fucking time to find that movie because I was just trying to rent it on Vudu, and no matter what I would type in, it it would pull up a giant list of movies, and it wouldn't be in there. And finally, I just looked up Brian Cox's filmography and just scrolled through it until I found it. Until you found the, the the Bruce Willis one, you're like, oh, this must be it. This is nope. It. Well, wait, till, wait till the what have you been watching section that we do after. <laughs> I watched every movie named Red. It took five and a half weeks. Uh, well, Noah sounds way too happy. So, Doug, why don't you tell us about Blue Ruin? Blue Ruin. Okay. Much happier movie. Uh, 2013, the movie opens up. Uh, we're just following this homeless guy around. Uh, he is picked up by the police and taken down to the station, and he's informed that uh, the guy who is in jail for killing his parents is about to be released. And the police are, I guess, just giving him a heads up kind of thing. Mm -hmm. so immediately we realize this guy has a plan of action and he puts it into effect he's going to go and he's going to kill the guy that killed his mom and dad uh, he's grossly incompetent but he manages to pull it off and then he goes cleans himself up tracks his sister down to let her know what he's done and during their first meeting he realizes that he may have inadvertently left enough clues for the family of the guy he killed to come after her. So he gets her out of town and he ends up going to war with this family. Uh, like, I guess in a victory for Noah, everybody ends up dead. <laughs> we, can, <laughs> we can get into the really specific details as we go. Um, but yeah, there's he kidnaps one of the guys during a shootout at the sister's house. That guy lets him know what's going on. Uh, he 
he actually goes and he has like his montage moment where he gets a buddy of his from high school to train him on how to use guns. He ends up going back to the house of this family. Uh, some really neat stuff happens where he like leaves them a phone message saying, hey, I want this all to end, and then hides out and waits for them to listen to the message to see how they react. It becomes pretty clear they're not going to let it go, so he just starts taking them out. And I think there's one kid that ends up not dead from that family. And yes, there's there's a bunch of twists in there about how the original murders were not actually committed by the guy who he he killed, and but it was committed by another member of the family who I assume is killed off somewhere in the middle of all this. I can't remember who died when, but uh, yeah. So basically, one guy's attempt at revenge, and it just spirals downward from there. Um, Start, it starts with a guy like living in his car eating out of garbage cans, but then it starts to get sad from that point. <laughs> yeah, we, we find out that the dad actually was the one who did it. Yeah. But he had since died, so... Right, he, yeah, right, he was already dead, so there was no one, technically no one to take revenge on. Um, Do you have a question, Noah? No, I was going to say, my, my first comment of this movie is I challenged the idea that he's inept. Because hmm. that, that was the way the movie was sold to me, and that's even like the descriptor of the movie before you watch it. Other than the fact that he like does a couple things wrong, like whenever he attempts to stab a tire with a knife without a hilt on it, so he fucking slices his own hand up real bad. But that's a mistake that you know a lot of people would make. You know, well, yeah, I think he's not so much inept as he is just this is what would happen if a real life person tried to do these things. That's how I feel watching it. I'm like, like he goes and he wants to get a gun, but he doesn't have enough money, so he tries stealing one, and it's got a lock on it, and he doesn't know how to get a lock off a gun. And as I'm watching him try, I'm going, yeah, I don't know how to get a lock off a gun either. I would have no idea to try any like he's hitting with a crowbar and hit a rock and I'm like those are I guess that's what I would do and when he finally does like take the guy out it's like he jumps in and he thinks he's just gonna like swing the knife once and slit his throat and it doesn't go that smoothly yeah that's that's just a guy who thinks slitting throats is easy which is watched Halloween a lot of times like <laughs> which is which is accurate but I think the whole thing is I, at the end of the day most of the things he does like they're they work out like the plan works out pretty good so he manages to go to the bar they're in sneak into the bar <laughs> hide in the bathroom wait out kill the guy get back out of the bar and sure there's some fuckery there on a couple of things that he fucks up but then steals their car gets away right <laughs> so mission mission accomplished sure he left too much evidence so they can track him. Yeah. Then when they're assaulting the house, he's smart enough to be using a flashlight instead of turning on lights in the room so they don't know where he's at. And then whenever he knows they're out there, he does the whole thing where he starts a sink running upstairs uh, to attract their attention so he can kind of control where in the house they're going to be. And and that works out pretty good. And like I said, most most of his plans work out pretty good. His whole, I'm going to find a gun, where's a place to get a gun? Well, probably in a truck in the parking lot of some redneck bar. And he's right. Because <laughs> that, that is a good place to look for a gun. 
I, the, the whole trigger lock thing is unfortunate, but that's I don't think that's necessarily uh, a flaw in his reasoning. He just got unlucky, and it was a responsible gun owner. But a trigger lock on the gun. Yeah, yeah, and again, yeah, like he's inept by movie character standards. Arnold Schwarzenegger wouldn't have had these problems. But this well, yeah, yeah, he's not a super soldier. Yeah. yeah, so he's. I, I think it's. I think it depends on how you're using the terminology when you say he's inept. Yeah, yeah. My, I'm just saying. My my argument is for an average guy. I think he performs better than most of us would have. Most of us would have never made it into the bar to kill the guy. We probably would have fucking made a noise and been Stop dead. Your toe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Doug last week said that he was inept, and I kind of. I'm like, did I, did, I, did I forget that part? And after rewatching, yeah, I don't think he's inept. I think it's just, yeah. he He's not experienced at doing this, so he makes a lot of mistakes. But like I said, it's, it's makes, in the actual description of the movie. Like, oh, there, for the movie, says he proves to be a completely inept assassin, which it's like, no, no, he doesn't. He, he kills the guy he's trying to kill. But he does, he does go after the wrong guy. Well, but there's no way for him to know that. Quit making excuses. For <laughs> uh, yeah. So, what's what's some of the favorite scenes? Like we were talking about the the guy sort of uh, invading his sister's house, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> See, like, yeah, he sets it up so the sinks run in and stuff, and he's trying to sneak out of the house. And then as Noah brought up, he gets shot by a crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> Man, he gets. He gets hurt so bad through this movie. Oh, yeah. He takes, do, he takes a beating constantly throughout the whole movie. I, I would say one of my my absolute favorite thing that happens in the entire movie is whenever he does get shot in the leg with a crossbow. And then he's attempting to remedy the situation. So he goes in, in, in most movie fashion, he goes into a pharmacy. He buys rubbing alcohol and flyers and stuff. And he's going to you know, sterilize this and pull this arrow out of his leg. Which, if anybody's ever had anything stuck inside of their body and attempted to pull it out, you can't do that. Like, it hurts. It hurts really, really bad, and it causes your blood pressure to drop, which will make you fall unconscious. <laughs> and so he ends up, like, in the end, just going to a hospital, which is what, what you should fucking do. You just go to the hospital. <laughs> like, you said, I accidentally shot myself in the leg with a crossbow. I'm hurt really bad. Yeah. yeah, that's a good public service announcement. If you're shot with a crossbow, go to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just I'm just saying it's it's one of those interesting things that I once again I don't think that proves that you know it's not that he's inept. He's just attempting to do what everybody would you know think is the assassin thing to do, and it's not. You just go to the fucking hospital. They didn't call the police. Nobody's looking for a guy wounded with a crossbow bolt. <laughs> Although to be fair, I think in such situations, don't doesn't the hospital have to call the police to report it or something? I I think if he had been shot with a gun, they have to report yeah. it. I don't, I don't think the crossbow would. Uh... Yeah, I don't know. Well, the other side of that is he wants to get his life back together. He can't have hospital bills hanging over his head, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Just gonna go back to being homeless. Well, I don't think that. I think the plan was for him to not be homeless anymore, right? You think so? Yeah, 
I think the plan yeah. was like get off the radar, go hide out. When he gets out, I'm gonna go kill him, and then I'm gonna take my life back. Hmm. Oh no, that's not the impression I got at all. Because he, he he was expecting to be arrested. I I think from the very beginning, because he tells his sister whenever he goes to see the sister, he he basically tells her I was expecting it to be on the news by now. Like I think he was just going to t say goodbye to them. And he was going to go to prison, like, because he just didn't care. All he wanted to do was kill the guy that killed their parents. Uh, yeah, that, that's not an unreasonable interpretation. No. Still don't want to have the hospital bills hanging over your head, my point <laughs> Well, I was going to mention, I, I kind of like that they don't really explain why he's homeless. I mean, you kind of put it together that, you know, his parents were killed and his life just kind of fell apart. But there's no, like... There's nothing that says, like, he was just like, fuck it, my parents are dead. I'm going to go be homeless now or something. That He's just homeless, like, when the movie starts. Yeah, he's, he's, just, good. he's broken. He's just yeah. broken, yeah. Yeah, like, he, I think it's not so much that he couldn't, like, get a job and get a home and stuff. It's that he just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. I, I thought that opening scene, maybe that is my favorite part of the whole movie, is that opening few minutes where he's we're following him around and he's being homeless but we're seeing that he's kind of good at being homeless like he knows how to break into people's houses and take a shower he knows how to find food that's relatively clean to eat and then we see him get back to his car and he's you know he's got a flashlight and he's got a book to read and stuff and you're like okay that's pretty cool and then the minute the police tell him that he's a the guy's gotten out of jail. He puts his plan into effect, and you can tell he's had a plan this whole time. He's got the battery for the car stored separately so that it won't drain. He's got some gas set aside to get him to a gas station. He knows that when he gets here, he's going to need to fill the air tires, and he dumps all his like old magazines and stuff. Like this is all clearly planned out. And maybe that's where the idea of it being inept comes in. Is just planned all that out. Didn't have enough cash for a gun. Probably should have, but. <laughs> And I think the whole that that you can kind of tell. I don't think he expected guns to be as expensive as they are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that was the idea behind that scene. And it's like, again, he's a real human being. I don't know how much a gun costs at a pawn shop. And, <laughs> like I, I know you theoretically get them there. That's all. That doesn't help me. If I had a can full of one dollar bills, I might try to go. And if I didn't have enough, I didn't have enough. <laughs> Uh, anybody recognize his friend from high school that helps him learn how to use again? He looks real fucking familiar, but I can't place him. Yeah, I'm the same way. He was uh, Buzz, the older brother from Home Alone. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I wish I'd clicked on his IMDb and do that before. <laughs> In which I like all the stuff with the best friend. Yeah, that stuff was cool. I like that a lot, yeah. Because I like that it's this kind of pseudo-realistic thing of, you know, your long-lost friend shows up and tells you he needs a gun. Do you give him the gun? And the answer is, well, yeah, this guy gives him a gun. <laughs> of course he does. Yeah, and he tries to get, as like, not as involved as possible, but is still, like, kind of curious, like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. And there is that moment where he ends up so the guy, the, the friend ends up shooting 
one of the family members from that other family and he uh he kind of comes over and he's like i had to wait for him to draw his gun on you like i couldn't do it until it was absolutely necessary and that's an interesting moment where it's like he you could tell if he if there was another way out of it he wouldn't have wanted to do that he's willing to kill to save his friend's life but he wasn't he's not willing to help his friend go on a revenge mission mm. yeah. yeah i like he even tries to like sort of rekindle this friendship a little bit yeah he's trying to like joke with him and talk with him and the main guy's just like Nah, I'm not really interested, and I'm kind of in a hurry. So can we like move this along? Yeah, and I think that moment because the film takes these moments to slow down and just have those conversations. I think there is that like they want the audience thinking like, what would you do? You know, your best friend from high school showed up. You haven't seen him in years. He went missing, and nobody could find him. And then he just shows up, and he needs help. You're obviously going to help. What? How far along in that help would you go? You know, most of us would probably never be put in a position where we'd be asked to shoot somebody. But you know, there's, there's it's always going to be levels, and I think the film wants you thinking about all that stuff so that you can relate to these characters. Yeah, no. If if you needed a gun to kill somebody who killed your family, who would you turn to? Hmm. That's a good problem, my uncle. Well, I'm not going to say names. A relative of <laughs> a gun person. Oh, see, I'm kind of surprised because there's a common friend we have who is a gun person. I figured that's who you'd go to. Who's who? Beckon? Yeah. This is all very cryptic of you guys. <laughs> I don't think I, he's a, he's a gun person, but I don't think he actually has very many guns. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. My relative person has a lot. Oh, uh, okay. I guess that makes more sense. He has, a, he has an arsenal. <laughs> He's definitely not hoarding it in case the government comes to try to take those guns. Yeah, maybe. This <laughs> is such a uniquely American conversation you guys are having about who has more guns. Uh, like, I know plenty oh. of people who own guns, like people who hunt or, and stuff like that, but I don't know anybody who owns what I would describe as an arsenal. Well, who does own an arsenal is this family that this guy's going after. Yeah. When he shows up at their house and starts unloading the house with guns, it's like, Jesus. That's almost comical. When he just, when he finally has that big pile and takes it down to the lake and throws it in. There's (laughs) so many guns in that pile. I was going to say the final, I, I don't know which which piece of this because the movie's all like good. Every every second of this movie is good because mm-hmm. even though it's sad, I think it's all pretty in a way. Yeah, yeah. But uh, that that final confrontation, man, that's some really good fucking acting from every single person involved. Just like the uh, the hesitation of you know they start listening and he steps out with the gun. And then they're kind of like, ah, fuck, it's over. You know, he's probably got away somewhere. And he, like, steps back and puts the gun down. And you're like, okay, well, that's the whole thing. He's not going to kill him if it's done. And then 
you know, in the message, he says, just leave my sister out of it. And they're like, that's why we're going to Pittsburgh, you fuck. And he's like, oh, and he just steps out, bam, just shoots the guy. No hesitation. Yeah. It is like, because like the one defining characteristic of our main character is you go after his family, you're, you're fucked. He, it might take him a couple of tries. He might not do everything right, but he's definitely coming after you. Mm-hmm. And so our main character gets shot and ends up dying because he did not listen to Buzz from Home Alone, who told him no speeches, just pull the trigger. That's a good point. And he starts doing a speech, and he ends up getting killed by the the kids sneaking up through the hallway. Yeah, you're right. It's exactly what he said is don't ever hesitate. You're pointing a gun at somebody. You're pointing it to kill them. Don't. You're not need no time to think, no time to do anything. Just pull the trigger. Which I think is pretty standard and good advice, they say. If you're... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what all the responsible stereotypes in movies usually say. So you never point a gun at someone unless you're willing to, to uh, pull the trigger. But, but I think even like police training and stuff would indicate, yeah. indicate that. <laughs> Have you seen the police lately in the United States? I mean, police in real countries, not your country. And and I would say for some reason that that final season, the final scene, even though the whole movie, the violence is not glorified in any way, you know what I mean? It's all real visceral and realistic. Yeah. <laughs> like when that second guy eats it, when the friend shoots him in the head, like dude, like freaks out. He's like, "Oh my god, his head! Look, it exploded!" And he's like, "Yeah, it's a gun." <laughs> <laughs> That is actually a really good point. There is a, a, a kind of a, a feeling to this movie like they don't want you to enjoy watching the violence, and none of the characters enjoy the violence either. Especially mm-hmm. not of the, the victim of it. Yeah, I was going to say, but that, the, especially the first guy that goes down, uh, the, the dude, where he like shoots him in the side, and the, the guy kind of goes down to it, and he, bam, he shoots him right in the fucking side of the head. Man, it's intense. You're like, oh shit! <laughs> fuck that guy's, fuck that guy all the way to Tuesday. <laughs> that dude is dead. Well, they don't leave it. They don't leave it up for debate. When somebody gets shot in this movie, they let you know whether they're dead or not. Yeah. <clears throat> and I do like the end bit of you do see that he has some kind of concept of right and wrong, in which you know the kid who shoots him. He kind of gets why the kid shot him. Yeah. And he's like, that's okay. You know, none of this is your fault. My car's down the road. You go and take my car and you can go have a nice life. We're all going to stay here and die. Yeah. <laughs> well, cause it's like the second time he lets that same kid go. And it's kind of interesting where he just sees that kid as an innocent. Because mm-hmm. that kid is in the limo at the beginning of the movie. It's the same kid, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And I'm trying to figure out if he knows at the beginning who the kid is. Well, the, when that kid gives him the thing and says, like, gives him the line of, like, like he says, you're, you know, Wade killed my parents. And the kid says, I don't think he did. Like, right away, you can tell something goes off in his brain where he is starting to think, like, Maybe I've got this all wrong. But now that he's started this series of events, it really doesn't matter. There's nothing he can do, right? Yeah, pretty much. Because, I mean, at that point, he can't just 
be like, oh, well, I fucked it up and just like go back to being homeless. He knows that like they're going to go after his sister and all that stuff. So he's pretty much in it until it's over with. And in a way, he's right, because part of the movie, you want to say, well, the guy who actually killed his parents is already dead, so all of this was pointless. Mm-hmm. But it's not really true, because throughout the movie, the, the few members of their redneck murder clan that he fucking talks to pretty much all know exactly what happened, and all they say is that the dad was the one that pulled the trigger. So I'm pretty sure they were all involved in the planning and murdering of his parents. Well, if nothing else, they're happy that it happened, or they're or fine with the fact that it happened. You know, they're mm-hmm. yeah, they're not losing any sleep over it. Yeah, and there's that great line at the end of him saying, you know, and you know, we're all gonna die right now because you know my dad loved your mom, and you guys couldn't handle that. Yeah. Which like, I don't know. There, there's something in there too about the fact, like the sort of abused woman syndrome of like she wanted to leave her husband for this other guy and this this dad the deceased father of the murder redneck clan obviously viewed his wife more like a piece of property right where he's like if you come near her then I'm going to kill all these other people mm-hmm. and that's it, it's part of making them the bad guys and making sure that they're not really sympathetic um because this movie is much more concerned with making sure we know who the good guy is than some movies where you would, it would be more ambiguous. Yeah. Um, Noah, have you ever seen Green Room? You, you know what the funny thing is? I have not sat down and watched Green Room yet, and I totally have it on Blu-ray sitting on a shelf. Yeah. I just haven't had it. Uh, same filmmaker. So... I think I'm a big fan of his. And I was super excited to hear a while back that he was going to do the third season of True Detective. But he has since dropped out, which sucks. So. (laughs) Yeah, I... This guy's style works for me. I forget his name. I'm not good at names. Uh, Jeremy Solonier? accept that but yeah it, he definitely I, I would like to see him do more of this type of work because it's I don't know it's better than most of what's out there and he, he nails the action aspects of it but he also is able to create the tension of like a thriller type movie yeah and the violence in his movies is not like like we've been talking about this movie it's not sort of glorified Right, uh, like Green Room, the the violence is really visceral and stuff. Um, I think it's interesting to see that uh, sort of a uh, sort of a way since like action movies are like really popular and stuff. Um, seeing sort of that difference, the more realistic take on violence in a movie like this, rather than. Donald Schwarzenegger movies, which are good in their own right, but just no, I, I, yeah, I, it's it's just good to have more unique voices out there in the filming yeah. community. I, I kind of compare this this movie in Green Room to something that would have come out in the seventies, 
just sort of a modernized version of those old like revenge movies that existed back then. Um, kind of a it's kind of neat that those are still around and they're not becoming like modern day action films. They're still making this visceral feel to them. Yeah, and this one too. I don't know. This this one is obviously closer to being called a revenge movie, but I feel like at the end of the movie, it's not a revenge movie. Like the first twenty minutes is a revenge movie, right? And the rest of the movie is almost like a reverse siege movie. <laughs> does that does that make sense? Where he's like defending himself, beset by these guys. But he's proactively doing it. Yeah, that makes I, sense. I don't know. It's, it's really odd. <laughs> yeah, rather than holing up and waiting for them to come to him, he goes to them and holes up in their house, waits for them to come home. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Reverse siege movie. Uh, all right. Yeah, it's it's a fair description. It, yeah, I can I this movie. I I would say it's a genre defying movie. This does not neatly fit into a box. Unless that box is like Shakespearean tragedy, because that's the best thing I can compare it to. It's a very like Hamlet style. We're all gonna fucking die. You put out my eye. I put out your eye. Yeah, no, that's that's actually a really good comparison. I usually we don't usually bring up Shakespeare <laughs> on this podcast, <laughs> but uh, but no, that that makes sense completely. And uh, I, I think you're right when you say this doesn't really fit neatly into a genre. These types of movies, and oftentimes they end up being the, the most fun ones to watch, they they don't need to fit into a genre. They just are what they are. They're their own little thing. And that's great. It makes them hard to market, but it makes them better for watching purposes. So the, the main actor in this movie... I was sitting there watching it the whole time, and and this is it's despite the fact that it's a quiet movie and it has a lot of like a great deal of this movie, nothing is happening. It's just odd. Yeah. It's odd in that way, and it's not wasted space. It's just not occupied with anything. I don't. I don't know how to explain it. But uh, I, I was staring at the main actor, and I was like, "Man, he looks so fucking familiar." And he kind of looks like the funny guy from like Brooklyn Nine Nine, but that's not it. <laughs> who the <laughs> does fuck is look this like guy? Him. Yeah, I was like, who the fuck is this guy? And, and it was like the end credits were rolling, and all of a sudden I was like, holy shit, it's the main guy from fucking Murder Party. Oh well, yeah, well, it's same, same, same filmmaker, director, too. Right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is, and I didn't know that at all that it's the same director. Those two movies could not be more fucking. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Wait, you, you didn't find the similar tones to the two films? <laughs> not, not fucking remotely. But <laughs> it was just so weird because, and that fucked that fucked me up at the end of the movie. I was like, man, that is a morose film, and I really enjoyed that. And and then to be like. Wait, the only movie I can associate it with is fucking Murder Party? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> doesn't like, it, though? Like, you're from Murder Party. You're not supposed to be a good actor. Uh, looks like Jeremy Sonnier has a new movie coming out this year. 
At least it says 2018, called Hold the Dark. Uh, says after the deaths of three children suspected to be by wolves, writer, writer Russell Core is hired by the parents of a missing six-year-old boy to track down and locate their son in the Alaskan wilderness. So it looks like he's doing like a man versus nature movie, which I think could be really good. You know what could be even better? It's fucking werewolves. Alaskan werewolf movies. <laughs> That'd be amazing. That's actually not a bad idea. <laughs> it's got uh, Alexander Skarsgård. Ooh. Oh. He looks oh. like he's the, like the main character. So. Seems like that's a movie that I might be interested in. Thanks for calling the Midnight Drive-In. No one is here to take your call. For more info, check out the Midnight Drive-In on Twitter at Pod or find us on Facebook. If you want to email us, send it to the Midnight Drive-In at gmail.com. Remember, no outside food and drink. Anyone caught performing sexual acts at the drive-in will immediately be taken to the office. Unspeakable things will be done to you. Thanks for calling. No feedback this week. Unless Doug wants to talk about that picture that someone sent to him right as we were recording again. No, it's just a picture of Lando. We'll, I assume end up discussing Lindo. Uh, maybe. Maybe. That's uh. Well, we'll talk about when we get there, I guess. All right. <laughs> and that's not a hundred percent true. People sent me birthday wishes on uh, Twitter. Yeah, that's uh, right. In which, thank you, everybody. <laughs> uh, now we all expect birthday wishes on Twitter. Especially you, Chris. You know who I'm talking about. <laughs> I don't think Chris has ever written in before. I don't think he has. He he uh he used to contact us a lot through the Twitter on the old show. Okay. Somebody named Chris used to uh write into the show all the time and we kept forgetting that it was the same person. <laughs> it was bad too, because Gmail will sometimes tie emails together if they're from the same person, and so you can scroll down and find out that we had We would never do that. We've got a letter from first time Chris here. First <laughs> in Toronto. No wonder he doesn't. No wonder we don't get feedback. Look how we treated that guy. So yeah, he used to preface his emails with, uh, "This is not the first time I've written in." <laughs> uh. All right. Has anybody watched anything since last time? I watched a few things. Red, Red Two, no. Red Dawn. That rabbit hole was not available. <laughs> I got done watching these two movies, and I was like, "Okay, well, I need like to smile." I bet because this, this hurts my soul. <laughs> and I watched them in the wrong order too, because I watched Blue Ruin first. Should have watched Red first. Mm. Because Blue Ruin has a happier ending because everybody dies. <laughs> but, uh, Fair enough. But so, you know, at the end I was saying, he said murder party! And I was like, I'm going to watch murder party! <laughs> so you did fall down a rabbit hole. Yeah, so I rewatched uh, murder party and it's, it's still awesome. If you haven't seen murder party, you should watch it. Uh, we did it on the last show, I believe. Yeah, we did that. Yeah. It was one of those movies that caused us all to yell at each other because Scott used to say bad things about it. <laughs> it's fun. I, I think it's fun and it's weird. 
and it's just fun enough and just weird enough to overlook all the flaws in the film. <laughs> I didn't notice any flaws when I watched it. I'm just saying it's not perfect. I mean, it's not like every actor in there is going to fucking win an Oscar. It's a first movie. Yeah. Yeah. But it was but, fun. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a, it's a high recommend all the way for me. If you're looking for a nice horror comedy to, to break things up, it's a nice dark one. Uh, then, because we had talked about the fact that I normally have like my four-pack that I watch with The Last Starfighter, and I was mad because I didn't get to watch them all, so I watched them all. <laughs> That'll show them. In- including The Last Starfighter. <laughs> I had watched about half of it before the show, and I was like, now, rewatching it. So I started it over again. And so I watched that in Battlestar Galactica, which is good, cheesy sci-fi. If you've never seen it, you should probably check out the original one. It's pretty, it's all right. It's got its, it's, got its problems. But then along with that, I watched Flash Gordon, which is one of the best movies ever. <laughs> got uh, Brian Blessed in it, God damn it. The 80s version? Say what? It's the 80s version? The only version. <laughs> Flash Court? The only version! Wasn't there like of... some early serials or something? It's the only goddamn version! <laughs> Wasn't there a series on sci-fi like not too long? There was a lot of things! <laughs> you know how meta he gets? He already killed the dog this episode. Don't push him over the edge. <laughs> Listen, if it doesn't have Queen on the soundtrack, you're watching the wrong one. <laughs> well, technically, in the TV series, they use the Queen song as the theme song. God damn it. <laughs> now i got to watch the TV series. <laughs> nah, don't. It wasn't very good. <laughs> Let him watch it. It'll keep him busy. What <laughs> about that? I won't go into too much detail on Flash Gordon, because I think it's on the list. Yes. Uh, and then I watched uh, Dune. Because Dune is awesome. Never seen it. Yeah, me neither. Ah, ah! <laughs> the, the spice must flow. <laughs> How will you guys ever understand my Quisac Satirac references? <laughs> I guess we'll have to learn to live with it. I, I go out of my way to understand as little of what you say as possible. <laughs> it makes me feel better about myself. Have you read the book? Book? Yes? No. Some of the bad- God damn it! Some of the bad What is wrong with you people? That's it. I'm adding Doom to the list. I think it's already on the list, isn't it? I'm adding both. We're not adding it through that list. I'm adding both versions of Doom to the list. One of them's four hours long. You can deal with it. Like a mini series. <laughs> Oh, then team it up with V, the miniseries. Well, then eight hours of stuff to discuss that week. <laughs> no, no shaving that week. Going to work with a beard. Don't have the extra five minutes. <laughs> Should all just take vacation days the next day? Uh, let's call those sick days, all right? All right. I don't know. Dune, Dune is a really interesting film because it's such a deviation from the book in some ways. some ways it's really, really uh, accurate. In other ways, it's got nothing to fucking do with it. 
but it's awesome. Pretty much every iteration of Dune is equally awesome somehow, and I'm not even sure how that's possible, seeing how they're all very, very different. Even the one that never got made. Hmm. I don't know. Have, have you guys ever heard all that story about that one? I know there's a documentary, but yeah. I have not watched it. Yeah, I, I, don't know. Like, I don't watch all that nerd shit. It was like Pink Pink Floyd was hired to do, write write the soundtrack, and uh, who was the? It was Kubrick, right? Kubrick was going to direct it. No, that's not right. Aronofsky. Aronofsky. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he knew. Apparently, he knew nothing about the book. <laughs> like. They asked him what he was going to do, and he's like, I've heard Dune's real popular right now. I'm going to do a Dune movie. <laughs> it's just crazy. Like, all the things they had attached to that movie, whenever you read it, you're like, that really would have been one of the coolest fucking movies ever made. And it never got out of the planning stage. Don't just tell the test. Well, I bet you there's a lot of stories like that that we don't know about. Oh, I bet. Every now and again, one gets famous. I do like that we're getting documentaries on movies that were never made. I do find that enjoyable. Fascinating yeah. that in some cases they could have just taken the money from the documentary and made. <laughs> well, the one about uh, Tim Burton's Superman. I don't think that was going to happen. But no, I don't think I'd, uh, I don't think that documentary had the like. $300 million budget that Burton was looking for. It was just, that whole movie was a screaming train going at a brick wall. From the moment yeah. it came out of somebody's thought baby. But after after watching the documentary, I kind of want to see it. Yeah, it's, it's like driving by a car crash. You always look. It doesn't necessarily mean you want to see it. It's just, you feel like you need to. I'm just saying, you could go back and do an animated version now. That's what I think they should do. I think they should do that with a lot of like unfilmed scripts. It's oh. so cheap to do an animated movie, and they can make your money back. Oh, totally! Like with Tim Burton's Superman, you could do uh, Kevin Smith's uh, script. Yep, another Superman movie. I mean, I've, I've read I've, Kevin Smith's script, and it's actually not bad. I don't know how it would work in a full movie. But. I was going to say, if they did an animated version of the Tim Burton one, they would have to do it like 3D because you would have to mo-cap uh, uh, Nick Cage's face. The full effect. <laughs> it's the full effect of how weird that fucking movie would be. It just wouldn't come across without him making stupid fucking donkey faces every <laughs> Donkey faces? Dude. <laughs> <laughs> that guy's facial expressions don't resemble human emotions. I don't. He's just like. I don't. He looks like a fucking character. Brian, can I ask you a serious follow-up question to everything that's going on right now? Yeah. Is he in favor of Nicolas Cage or against Nicolas Cage? Uh, I don't know. I can't tell. <laughs> I love how bad Nicolas Cage is. <laughs> Nicolas Cage is bad, and everything he was in is bad. Sometimes you have to watch it more than once to figure out how bad it actually is. No, so you're talking about stuff like The Rock, and The Rock was amazing. No, The Rock is amazing. It's also bad. <laughs> it's really bad. It's a dumb. It is a dumb, stupid movie that is you, awesome. You keep saying it's bad, but 
my head keeps going no, but it's awesome. I'm pretty sure it's not awesome. What? Shut it's Michael. Mouth, it's though. Michael Bay, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it start to finish probably since the theaters. But is Michael Bay doing appropriate Michael Bay stuff in a Michael Bay movie before it the got out of hand? The only way to get in is to roll through this uh, one-foot-tall slot big enough for a man that has random jets of fires that are perfectly timed. Yes, and? not random jets of fire if they're perfectly timed. You're contradicting yourself. I'm saying the jets of fire serve no purpose. (laughs) It's like a spark factory from an 80s movie. They're like, what's this? Oh, this is the heating unit. Occasionally, you know, every 35 seconds it fires bolts of flame down into this hole for no reason. Uh, we got to do Nicolas Cage month. That's what I'm saying. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'll watch a Nicolas Cage movie in a heartbeat because they're so bad. <laughs> I don't know about that one. Talk about it. <laughs> Sounds like an off-mic yeah, argument <laughs> to have. Is that, if I recall, there's a particularly good one perhaps involving vampires. <laughs> it's already on the list. It's already on the list. That's our Nick Cage Jim Carrey week. That's going to be interesting. <laughs> but uh, I would say that's. I think that's pretty much everything I watched, other than several episodes of uh, the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh yeah. Which, if if you guys haven't seen that, that's fucking god damn it. It's funny, and I don't understand why it's funny because it's so stupid. But every second of it makes you like want to pull your hair out. It's, it's so because funny. it's Carol Kane being Carol Kane again, which made me so incredibly happy. Have you seen the episode with the broken Teddy Ruxpin doll? Yes. It just screams white girl. That is the <laughs> dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard in my entire life. And I still scream it randomly. I do it to Cheryl all the time where I'll just walk in the room and go, white girl! <laughs> she enjoys that. He does not. <laughs> She's like, why do I allow him to live here? <laughs> I recommend Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, four seasons on Netflix. It's awesome. Did they put the fourth season up? It is up. Oh, I missed it. I was busy being in Vegas, I guess. Hashtag humble brag. Yeah. Piece of uh. shit. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you were going to Vegas with uh, Patrick. Uh, well, I didn't go with him. He just happened to be there. Well, you know, celebrating the same thing I was celebrating. You know what I mean. Uh, It wasn't confirmed that he was going until like two weeks before. Yeah. Um, A little jealous. Patrick's cool cat. He's all right. Uh, (laughs) do you know how much it sucks going from like ninety percent humidity to like ten percent humidity, and then having to come back? I was getting ready to say, going there? Not at all. I'm back sucks. Yeah. <sighs> Fucking blows. That's what we're doing now for our podcast. We're just complaining about the weather. Yeah. Uh, what have you watched, Doug? Uh, not a whole lot. I did take the plunge and start watching the Starman TV series. As a oh, yeah. Last show. I made it through one whole episode. Ooh, um, it's it's eighties TV, all right. <laughs> that sounds about the exact review I would expect from somebody watching that show. Yeah, it um, 
Are you saying it's not great? <laughs> I will I will give it this much. It does give you like a plot relevant reason why the guy looks different and things like that. It does the the opening episode does lay out kind of good reasons for him coming back to Earth, good reasons for him having a different face. Mm-hmm. Kind of doesn't explain the fact that the kid's 14 and it's filmed like three years after the movie or whatever, but, you know, whatever, it's 15 years. That's that alien done. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't as bad as I expected. Like, I expected it to just be like, trust us, this guy looks just like Jeff Bridges and it didn't do that (laughs) shit. So, and it's in, you know, because it was the first episode, it was very much about setting everything up. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'll make it through an entire series of it. <laughs> I think it was only two seasons, so it shouldn't take too long. Yeah. Of course, this was in the 80s when a season of TV was like 30 episodes. Yeah, it might not take too long. You mean I might never watch another one? <laughs> we'll see. But uh, yeah, I did find it on YouTube, and I'm just like, I gotta know. So, <laughs> no, I know. And, and like I say, it wasn't nearly as bad as I was worried. Um, it just... Still, still like these TV. That's all there is to it. <laughs> like, what if we take the Incredible Hulk and do something different with it? So we yeah. take someone and they go town to town helping somebody. It's literally like every show in the eighties is town to town helping different people. Mm-hmm. Like, I, don't, I remember like a while back, I was like up at some weird hour and I'm flipping through and there's like a rerun of the Littlest Hobo on, and I'm like. Even the dog just travels town to town helping people. <laughs> like it's just literally everything is just that. So. Oh yeah, I didn't realize till I was older that that was Night Rider too. Yeah, Night Rider. It was like even the, even like they had like Misfits of Science, which is like look at what happens when all these like freaks break out of the science lab where they've been experimented on and they all have different powers, and they use them to travel town to town and help people. <laughs> <laughs> Like, all right. There's always it's always they're traveling town to town helping people, and there's some group, be it like a government agency or like investigative reporters or private investigators, that's always chasing them from town to town and always getting there just in, just after they're uh, too late. Man, it must have been awesome being a TV exec back in the day. Give us your pitch, and they're like, the main guy's name is John. Everything else is like all the other shows. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> so I watched that, and I watched uh, Solo, a Star Wars story. Oh. I've heard of that one before. Heard of it. Heard uh, heard the box office a little disappointing. Yeah, I only I, made like a hundred hundred million dollars instead of the billion dollars they expected. Yeah, I, I saw it in a half empty theater. So I was surprised. Like I was kind of caught off guard by how empty the theater was. Uh, do either you guys see it? I did not get a chance to see it. I, I like, I, I said it before, I don't know why. I don't give a fuck about that movie at all. Like, I'll probably watch it whenever it comes out online. Yeah. And that's, a lot of people obviously feel that way. I want to try to go see it sometime this weekend, but. Alright, well, we can maybe discuss it further. Um, I will say this, like, the movie definitely benefited from my low expectations. Mm-hmm. But overall, yeah, it was okay. 
It was a, a lot more action heavy than I wanted it to be. I would have preferred a little bit more time spent with characters. Um, it had a little too much of the, you know, one step away from our lead character turning into, and that's that backstory for that item, you know, literally has moments of like people handing Han Solo like a gun and you're like, you don't need to do the close up with the gun. We all know it's the gun from the future movie. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But there's like a, there's a few twists and turns in it that I didn't see coming. A few twists and turns that I did see coming. The did they? Train, what's that? Did they make a joke about childish Lampino? That would be pretty funny. They did not. <laughs> they did not edit that into the Star Wars universe. Um, but yeah, I mean, there is, I will say this, one of the big complaints is so Lando has a droid with him at all times. And there's odd, you know, if I, want, it's, I don't think it's spoilery to say that there's an odd sexual attention between Lando and his droid. <laughs> and I don't know. I thought that was funny. I thought that people are complaining because it's like, oh, another sassy droid that's like with the uh, Star Wars. And it's like, well, yeah, it's a fucking Star Wars movie. There's going to be a sassy droid in it. Like, why are you, why would you go see a Star Wars movie and be surprised by that? So I, I, I felt like when people about stuff like that, I'm like, well, it's a Star Wars movie. It's going to have all the Star Wars stuff in it. It's going to have slightly too many references to other movies, but, you know, you're going to like some of them and not like others, but other people will like the ones you disliked and not like the ones that you liked. <laughs> uh, fucking Star Wars movie with the Millennium Falcon in it. Jesus Christ. There are a couple of, like... Uh, I was going to say, I think that's one of the reasons why I wasn't fucking excited about it. There, This movie offers fucking nothing. It offers nothing new. That's correct. It offers very little new, but it's fun to watch. And some of the stuff that you know is coming is like, God, I'm trying. I'm trying to think of like stuff I can say without spoiling it for Brian. But so this is like, so obviously you know that he's going to do the Kessel Run in 12 seconds, right? Or 12 oh, parsecs, right? Like that's not news. But there's like, there's a moment like where as soon as he's done, he like right away he's like turns like the first person he sees and he's like i just did the kessel run like 12 parsecs and the guy looks at him like nobody cares dude like (laughs) nobody's impressed at all and it's like i love that because that is very consistent with what comes later because he keeps thinking it's a big deal and people keep not caring throughout the rest of his life do they explain why it's measured in parsecs no because, you know, that's been a major problem with the uh, the continuity ever since the beginning. A parsec is a measure of distance, not time. Yeah. In Star Wars, you measure things in distance, not time. Which is, Somebody, which is If they're measuring a race by who did the race in the shortest distance, that's fine. But why? Why is it distance? I think, it, well, no, okay. Pardon me whilst I geek out. It makes complete sense because you're traveling through hyperspace and stuff, right? So it's all about calculating, like, you're going to travel at the speed of light. The question is, can you calculate the faster route? So by finding the by finding the least distance to get somewhere, you effectively are establishing that you traveled there the fastest. Correct? Yeah, Noah. I, I would so, accept that. I just wondered if in the movie they would actually... 
They don't actually say it, though. But they do go through a whole thing where he's trying to they're trying to figure out how to calculate the the root, and there's spoilery twists to that that I can't say. But he cheats. No. There's all sorts of plot lines involving people cheating, and I can't say because they're all spoilery. But I will say there's like some cool like Star Warsy stuff going on, you know, stormtroopers stormtroopering about and stuff like that. That really I think they capture it pretty well. The one thing this movie gets right with the solo character is the interactions between Han and Chewie are good. And it's it's necessary for those to be fun little interactions. I was gonna say, how is the actor who plays Han Solo? I, I think it's pretty clear. So the whole movie, it's pretty clear that somebody was making Lego Star Wars, and somebody went stop and called Han Ron Howard and were like, "Can you <laughs> come on, help?" Right? It's it's pretty clear that that happened. Um, and, you it's know, just shitty jokes and people shrugging. There, there is, there is, there's a lot of shitty jokes and people shrugging, <laughs> and you can tell that they've edited that. I think that's why the movie is heavy on action and light on characters. Is because I think they just tried to get rid of all that, not all of it, but some of it. And I think with the actor as well, it's well, uh, it's well documented that. You know, acting coaches were brought in partway through the filming of this movie, and I think it's clear that some of these scenes were filmed before the acting coaches, and some were filmed after. I will say the scenes—that is not a good. uh, That is not a good selling point on a movie. Well, they had to bring in an acting coach halfway through filming. Well, the the defense I've read online is that it wasn't. You can't act. It's we need to get you to act more like Harrison Ford. more reasonable thing to say, I think. You would think they would have just hired somebody that could do that right off the bat. Uh, but that's on Yeah, the they really should have brought in Shia LaBeouf. Oh, don't. Fucking asshole. What? He's played his son before. It's not Isn't his son. It's not playing his son in this movie. He's playing a younger version of the same character, so they should have got River Phoenix's corpse, right? <laughs> Anyways, yeah, overall, like overall, I kind of liked it. It's not great, but it's certainly not the train wreck I was worried about. And the train yeah. nice scene is pretty cool. I feel like the train wreck is going to be the Boba Fett movie. I don't know. We'll see. Because now they've brought in what's his name from Logan to do it. I have faith in that guy. I know, but it's like Boba, Boba Fett was cool just because he was kind of a badass that stood in the background, and that was about it. So when you start like doing a whole backstory, right, we'll see. Typically, start. Disney seems to be a company that learns lessons fairly well, and I think this movie taught them the lesson of you can't just shit out Star Wars and people will be okay with it. Okay, again, still trying to avoid spoilers, so give me a second to think of how I want to... The, I also think there's an implication in this movie that they are building a world where various characters can interact, where villains from one movie could show up in another movie, sort of Marvel-style. Um, and I think that that 
could prove interesting. There's because then you could have Boba Fett interacting with characters from this movie, and you could, or you could have him sort of going up against people who were introduced in this movie, which could prove interesting. I think. Hmm. I don't know. Or conversely, he could be working for organizations during this movie because. Well, I'm taking a wait and see thing on the Boba Fett movie because I just I think there's potential there for something cool. I've heard a couple of different ideas that, like the one idea I originally heard was that they were just going to do a movie where it was just Boba Fett trying to get carbonated Han Solo from Cloud City to Tatooine to turn him over to Jabba. Like the whole movie would just be him trying to do that while other bounty hunters tried to steal his prize. And I'm like, that could work. Mm-hmm. You just make him into the badass that we all assume he is, but we are all just assuming it. Because as portrayed in the movies, he's one step away from being Mr. Magoo. From being what? Mr. Magoo. He just, keeps, he just keeps fucking shit up and somehow it just all works out for him. I mean, he does literally get killed with like a broom handle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a very good foresight by uh, George Lucas. Yeah. What do you do? Huh. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Hopefully, I get to see it this weekend. I got to go celebrate someone, some nerd's birthday this weekend, though. Yay! Boring. <laughs> I'm just looking forward to when Disney makes the uh, Lando Calrissian fucks his way across the universe movie. <laughs> it's just on implied. a dick on a sexuality-powered spaceship. It's in, it's definitely implied that Lando likes to fuck in this movie. He's, they don't say that, but well, I mean, what's his face? Uh, uh, Glover said that part of his idea of who the Lando Calrissian character is is that he's pretty much interested in having sex with anything that moves. <laughs> yep, fair enough. Yeah. Which I I say, yeah, sounds about right. Well, it's funny. I've heard people say, and I, I can't really back this up, but like if you watch the performance, he's not really doing like an impression of Lando, but he's doing an impression of uh, Billy Dee Williams from like his seventies black exploitation type roles, which is interesting. <laughs> Does he do a Colt forty five commercial in the middle of the movie? <laughs> God damn, I would love that, but no, believe it or not, he doesn't. Smooth, brisk blue milk. I was gonna say blue milk gets you every time. Goes down smooth. Yeah, surprisingly enough, no. But he does spend a lot of time, like, sipping drinks and playing cards in the movie. Yeah. Sounds about like what I would expect. Uh, Alright, anything else? No. Did you watch any movies while you were in Vegas? No, I did watch one when I got home, though. Uh, it's a movie called Split Image from... Oh, no, I don't know when it was from. It's from, like, the late 70s, early 80s, somewhere around in there. Uh, so it's this uh, kid who has well-to-do parents, the dad played by Brian Dennehy. Um, and he's sort of uh, training to go to the Olympics. He's like a gymnast. 
Uh, and it seems like he's trying to figure out what he's going to do with his life, like post Olympics. But, you know, his family's rich, so it's just sort of like, yeah, I'm not in a big hurry, so I'll figure it out. Uh, and then he meets uh, Karen Allen, which ties us into last week. And she invites him to come to this group where they uh, learn about, oh, what the fuck do they call it? They learn about the duality of man or whatever. So essentially he gets roped into a cult by Karen Allen. That's led by Peter Fonda. Uh, and I mean, if anybody was going to rope you into a cult, like sweet Karen Allen in her, her like angelic, you know, performance, not from Starman where she was really down and sad. Uh, she'd be the one to do it. Um, so I kind of get suckered into this cult. Uh, and then the rich parents decide we need to find someone who can help get him out of the cult. And of course, the only person that can do that is uh, late 70s, early 80s, uh, James Woods with the creepiest James Woods mustache I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, so he's a deprogrammer. So of course, they have to go kidnap him and tries his deprogramming ways on him the whole time. This guy still, you know, really wants to escape and go back to the cult. So it's mainly sort of a drama about like that kind of stuff. Um, good performances. James Woods is awesome as usual. It's too bad he's become a horrible person over the past couple of years because I really do enjoy James Woods performances from all these movies. Um, but yeah, if you're into just like a solid 70s cult movie that's not so much horror as just is sort of a drama, um, Split Image, I would check it out. Good performances by everybody. And that's pretty much all I watched. Um, Sounds kind of interesting, at least. Yeah. It's on uh, Amazon Prime, so check that out. I will say, while we were recording, we did get a piece of uh, feedback okay. from our good friend Brian with an I. <clears throat> it's another long email. Son of a bitch. <laughs> uh, we, better, we better go through it. We better go through it so no one else decides to compete with them. He says, uh, hey guys, after the completely unintentional yet hilarious epic email battle that ensued a few weeks back, I'll try to keep it short, which he does not. But we'll see. <laughs> he just said he'd try, man. Uh, what I love about your show is how you find some weird and obscure shit for us to watch. Uh, we've been pretty much on a mainstream kick for a little while. Um, well, I thought I'd do my part and incorporate one of my many other favorite things into the mix, beer. So I thought I could find a movie to watch and pair it with a beer and share my thoughts. So this week I watched Brian Usna Society. With that, had me a couple of spiteful brewing, working, working for the weekend double IPAs. Always wanted to see Society, as well as been on my list, and it's streaming on Prime right now. It's his directorial debut, so it's a bit rough, but you can definitely see the seeds being sown for his follow-up, Bride of Reanimator, and later films. Really liked it, and the end was pretty awesome. 
And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if James Gunn was inspired by the end scene for his own directorial debut, Slither. As for the beer, it's a nice double IPA at about 7.9% and not too hoppy. I myself do prefer a hoppy beer, but I know that's not for everybody. What the fuck is going on? It's all right. I just sat on my phone. <laughs> so I don't know what that was. Uh, I chose this one only for the can, which depicts some fun melting face art. If you guys like this, I'm more than happy to seek out new beers to share with you and awesome flicks to watch. I've been watching an awful lot of stuff, but I only want to just talk about an absolutely new favorite of mine. What? Oh. It's also on Prime, <laughs> and it's called Body Melt. 1993 Aussie film about a chemical company testing some new body enhancement drugs on an unsuspecting community nearby. Uh, right from the get-go, it hooked me. There's this weird-ass rave techno soundtrack that doesn't seem to go with this movie, but yet for some reason it makes it, it makes the movie. At least for me, it. At least for me, it. What? Brian, learn how to fucking write. Um, <laughs> the acting is bad. The gore is awesome. It's batshit crazy, and I watched it twice in as many days. You almost have to because the first time shit is happening, and you're like, "Wait, what just happened? Did I miss something?" And you watch it again and go, nope, it's just those crazy Aussies making crazy movies. It's very much in line with early Peter Jackson. And it would actually pair with society, pair well with society on a future episode. Just saying. I'm done for now, guys. Keep up the great work. Well, thanks. He does know that he's now obligated to send us some of that beer so we can all let him know yeah. whether he's correct in his interpretation of it. Exactly. Better get on it, buddy. So every week you try a new beer, you send one bottle to each of us. <laughs> drink it live on the show and let you know whether it's good or not. Like, this is garbage. What was he thinking? <laughs> you thought you were, this, or, you thought you were our nemesis before. I keep sending us bad beer. <laughs> this isn't even cold anymore. Son of a bitch. Here's a brief glimpse of some of the truly fine pictures we've scheduled in the near future. Noah, why don't you tell us what we're going to be watching next week? Uh, we are going to be doing some black uh, exploitation, specifically kung fu black exploitation with uh, Black Belt Jones and uh, uh, the baddest, the meanest, Shonuff, <laughs> the Last Dragon, which neither of these two have ever seen. So excited. No, and but I know like what kind of movie we're getting into, so we definitely needed to pick me up from this week, and we figured some black exploitation kung fu flakes would be the way to go. Although Doug's a little nervous. I do not trust us. We're gonna say something wrong. ABC's <laughs> gonna cancel us for sure. <laughs> God damn it! Why'd you have to have such a good out right there? I didn't mean to end the show. <laughs> Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. And now, folks, it's time to say goodnight. We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night. Good night.